0: Hello, and welcome to Rise the Victor podcast. I'm your host Chris Meadon and I have my wife here.
1: Hello. Binity.
0: Hi. So this is a first podcast episode and I'm going to use this episode to um, just give you an insight as to what this is about and my wife's going to ask me lots of questions to
1: do you know, Chris, this actually reminds me of exactly 13 years ago today where we met mm-hmm. speed dating and we were sat like we're sitting now opposite each other. Yeah. <laughs> Although we didn't have a microphone, but we were asking each other questions and we had three minutes in which to do it. And then we yes, moved along.
0: did, we did. We did. We're gonna be...
1: The bell rang ding-ling-ling-ling and <laughs> you moved along. 14 guys, 14 girls. Yeah on the eve of st valentine's we chose each other yeah although i did go out on two other dates before from that event but that's another subject
0: you (laughs) needed to to check you were you make the right decision and clearly you did so you know
1: 13 years later absolutely so i digress back to the point serious business (laughs) who wants to be serious okay rise of victor what is it what does it mean
0: so Rise the Victor is really symbolic of how I take my clients from often being in a victim space and taking them to a place where they can take personal responsibility and be able to overcome whatever trauma, anxiety, whatever events which have happened. So it's very much a case of um, giving people the tools, the resources to be able to um rise as the victor and overcome uh, those past experiences of whatever has been going on in the past or, or currently.
1: Yeah, okay. So what's, what's your story? What's your background?
0: Okay, so I'll be relatively brief.
1: I should uh, be quiet. Yeah. <laughs> I won't interrupt.
0: Yeah. So basically, um, I come from a family of seven. I've got three brothers and one sister. And when I was younger, I could tell I was different from everyone else.
1: You
0: certainly are. <laughs> u- unique. But no, um, when I was growing up, I didn't particularly feel connected with my brothers and sister. And I was made to feel quite inferior, stupid. And it was sort of a theme all the way through school, the way teachers treated me. And yeah, I came out of school with, you know, a few qualifications, but nothing really special and felt I wasn't that intelligent. Um, but from a point of leaving school I did lots of study, lots of training and it was really when I learned NLP in 2004 which came about actually strangely enough from a fear of cold calling so I was running a IT business and previous to that I was very well known in the industry I was working in programming robotic production lines I never had to market myself and then suddenly I, I, I left that and became a IT consultant and I found myself avoiding picking up the phone to phone cold call clients uh, to get new business, and it was dramatically impacting my my income. So I, I had a search on the internet and found hypnosis and this like term NLP. I you was thinking hypnosis, and and that was back in two thousand and four. And Paul McKenna, the hypnotist, um, uh, personal change guru, was doing a. A three-day hypnosis course with um, Richard Bandler, who is co-creator of NLP. NLP is Neuro Linguistic Programming. That was really the start of a real sh- huge journey of personal change. And from that, from that three days, it really just opened up just the beliefs that I had held about myself were all wrong. You know, our beliefs are a bit like the rule book. We look at life and how the lens we see a life and the opportunities. And often those beliefs are of, of false evidence which prevent us from being the best version of ourselves. And really um, you know, I started helping people on a personal level back in 2004 and I was using NLP in uh, my business and closing business and getting a lot of success for it and I was thinking this is really cool. And the biggest buzz I had was from helping clients at a personal level overcome things which happened in their lives and you no, know, I think it was 2010, wasn't it, when we, stopped, we we started taking more focus across from running the IT yeah, business right. and more on, on personal change. And, you know, it's been 10 years of helping clients, several thousand clients later, and, yeah, having de- developed the Meaden method which we'll go into more in future episodes. But basically, um, yeah, it it was really a case of uh, finding myself and most people who get into helping other people through therapies or whatever, generally first look at fixing themselves and then find, hey, this is really rewarding and then choose to do it for others. So um, that's really my story, and, and we'll go dip in and out of bits and pieces of it. I suffered social anxiety when I was younger. I wasn't aware that I was suffering from social anxiety. It was, uh, now what I do, I very much identify a lot of the things which happened to me as as anxiety and, and panic attacks, but back then I didn't know and I didn't seek help. I thought it was normal, and I think there's a lot of people who I would definitely speak to don't really realise just some of the things which we which we experience are not necessarily normal but of course what is normal it's only you, you don't know what you don't know it's only when you know what you didn't know for you know uh, how different it is <laughs> <laughs> but you know so, so yeah that's, that's really um, how I how I got into um, this personal change work
1: cool that's interesting I think a lot of people can relate to um, certainly on the social anxiety front that's certainly mm. more on the increase whilst whilst we have the social media there's there's the social aspect going out meeting people face to face but also the element of being on social media people are getting anxieties yeah. about that as well as just meeting up with people at work yeah social
0: huge, huge impact of anxiety today is because of social media the false life if we look looking at people's like a voyeuristic view of people's lives and go, Oh, I wish
1: they had a life like them.
0: And the reality is is we don't post our our bad bits, it's a bit like highlights real. So it then makes people have more anxiety, more depression because their life doesn't maybe doesn't match up to what they see other people's
1: and there has been a, a huge change over the last couple of years in um, obviously mental health with mm. people saying it's okay to, to say it's not okay, it's, you know, to let people know I'm struggling with something, whether it's panic attacks, anxiety, fears, trauma, pretty much just walk down any high street, village, town, wherever. Every single person that you walk past, there's something going on in their life, in their head, in their mind that they could do with some help with. Everybody's got something going on. I can't think that anybody right now would put their hand up and say, do you know what, everything is 100% perfect.
0: And and I think, you know, we need to have those, we need to have those differences so that we can appreciate when we do have good times. Uh, But at the same time, uh, often, if we're not really aware of what is a symptom of an anxiety or of a medicular-based disorder...
1: Oh, you just threw a word in there, Chris. Amygdala.
0: The amygdala in this podcast. (laughs) So, you know, the amygdala is part of the brain which is primary purpose is keep you safe, keep you alive, and it's responsible for the fight or flight response, where we it will trigger off the creation of cortisol and adrenaline, which create a lot of the physical sensations you would experience in a panic attack or anxiety, tightness chest, racing heart, jelly legs, dizziness. Can be a whole range of.
1: Just reminds uh, me of a song I was singing yesterday with the twins Jelly on a Play, Jelly on a Play. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I
0: digress. Well, yeah, it is a strange thing because when we create adrenaline, it is for preparation for your body to take some defensive response. Um, but often the actual sensations you experience make you feel weaker and often off balance and, and feel like. A, unstable whereas actually it's preparing your body to uh, to be able to exert some defensive response but it comes across as the opposite
1: absolutely yeah absolutely so who would you say is is responsible overall responsible for mental health mental well-being
0: i think we all have to take personal responsibility and uh, in our own well-being however that said there's obviously lots of environmental factors which are influencing how we are and that's um, often dire it's our it's the society and which the size the way society is going we're always bombarded with messages through different media channels as to what creates happiness you'll be happy if you have this latest car this latest phone this latest holiday you know it's a continuous bombardment of buy this, have this, and your life will be better. You will be happier. Uh, and so many people are on a treadmill trying to achieve and to gain all these things and then finding that when you do get them, you know what? You're still not happy. And it's a continuous process where it's about being able to step back and recognise you know, we are being manipulated in social media through the algorithms to sell stuff to us and you know it is easy for us to forget that whilst it's a platform for the connecting with friends keeping in touch you know the incentive of facebook and all the likes so about monetizing your your eyes on their platform so i think uh, that you know when we talk about responsibility for mental health we have to take care of ourselves in terms of our physical health and what we eat and um society is shifting in such a way where everything is set up for convenience so currently we're being influenced and hypnotized that we should just every time we want to feel hungry we want to go and get just eat or delivery or whatever let's not take responsibility for our diet let's just get something in um so everything's becoming convenient convenience in every way and as consequence we're not taking responsibility and you know, diet has a significant aspect about our mental health.
1: Certainly does.
0: Yeah. Certainly
1: does. So, um, just just thinking about what you do. Obviously, you've trained in in certain style of modalities or methodologies or therapies or whatever you want to call it. There's so much out there. There's psychiatry, psychology. There's CBT. That's counselling, NLP, hypnotherapy. There's loads. And I think for just the majority of us, how do you know what works? What's right for you? How do you know which is best? What's what to avoid? How, how does anybody know?
0: That's a really good question, and you could go on first quite in depth. The, the problem. This could be a
1: topic for a whole other. I think episode. so. <laughs> I
0: think so um, because. Um, You know, a natural course of action is if we're not well, we go to our GP. Uh, And obviously we're talking in the context of UK for our friends overseas. I suspect you have similar. Go and see a doctor's and then get a diagnosis. Uh, But, you know, in the UK with NHS, it's very much a case of if you're not feeling great, then you're you're given some antidepressants and then then, uh, put on a waiting list for some CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. And off you go. And that seems to be pretty much the standard course of action uh, for, for GPs in the UK. At the moment. At the moment. <laughs> um, hopefully that will change. And, you know, when we... We will talk about medications and stuff and the drugs in other episodes. But, you know, ultimately the medication often is just disguising or masking the issues and just kicking the problem down the road by subduing our, uh, our responses rather than actually resolving things and often where we recover from from mental health it's often the circumstance the situation in in life has moved on a relationship has changed or some stressor has been removed uh, rather than actually being the drug which has done the job so um, but effectively it is a difficult one because you know your first point of call is uh, you know what your doctor says and then you know take the treatment but CBT and counselling has a place in helping people, but unfortunately, with more amygdala-based disorders being panic attacks, anxiety, PTSD and other related um, conditions, CBT and and, uh, counselling is not really the best course of action.
1: I mean, that's that's come, a lot of that, you know, because of what clients have told you. They have gone through years and years of... It's not just you saying that. No. You actually can back that up with people who have gone through that for so many years and have said, help, you're my last resort.
0: Most clients have seen me, have spent years in therapy, tried everything under the sun, uh, spent thousands, sometimes tens of thousands in, in treatment and often feel they're completely broken and it's nothing's gonna work. That's pretty that's the most common mm. sort of mindset that I have for the clients who see me. Yet they only need a few sessions and yeah. and the issues are resolved.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and then look, you know, the thing is is that the techniques which I use are based in neuroscience and and unfortunately institutes, the NHS that you know, they don't keep up with it. They don't keep up with advancements of what we now know and you know, a typical example is that if a pharmaceutical company wants to sell a drug, they'll research, invest money in developing a drug, and they're prepared to invest, you know, millions even billions into a drug, uh, and then spend, you know, half a billion on on research and uh, studies to say here, how here's our drug, it's wonderful. Hey, use this drug, and but they know from the outset when they get a drug approved by the various governments around the world, they'll have contracts for 25, 30 years selling those drugs. Um, So there's a guaranteed model. So there's money. uh, Whilst there's an upfront investment in the creation of a drug, ultimately they know that uh, for every drug that that they create uh, and is successfully approved, they will get significant revenue for the next 10, 20 for years, uh, with that drug and variations of that drug, so the problem you have is when you have alternative therapies which have better results. The argument is always, well, where's the empirical evidence? Where's the evidence? Where's the studies to uh, back up your claims? Now, of course, that means that you know pharmaceutical companies have got masses of resources of finances available to do this. But any new modality, depending on whoever created it, have got to fi- self-finance that, that empirical evidence. And, and the costs are just huge. So, so often there are techniques out there which are more natural, more alternative than pharmaceutical interventions, but they don't get the funding to be able to prove. So consequently, it's really down to the individual who discovers these modalities and finds they're really good but the thing is they're not they're very much unknown because the finance you know most people who create these techniques aren't business people they're not big corporations they you know a corporation will look for how much profit can we make they're looking to fill uh, to provide a a return investment for investors so the intention of a pharmaceutical company is to make money Whereas the intent of someone with alternative therapy is to help in the first hat is the first point you call and less so on how much money can I make or how can they make. So the problem you have is this issue. So it makes it difficult because, you know, ultimately um, you have to go on to look for what, find your own evidence and do your own research. So I think that's a a big point really.
1: Yeah, Okay. I mean, I think that's a topic that can be spoken about at length in a future episode and talking about future episodes what have you got coming up?
0: Right okay so you know ultimately um, we're going to be deep diving into some of um, various conditions which um, you know all too often t- uh, the population is suffering from with different anxieties, uh, different conditions but also just to get a heads up really of um, how You know, I work with clients and I created the Mead method, which is a a framework um, to help people. uh, And it's been sort of fine-tuned over the years with treating thousands of clients. And it's really about um, giving people an insight of alternative ways to improve their mental health, which don't require taking drugs, which don't require years and years of therapy, um, uh, where you can just get back and live your life a lot faster
1: i just thought something really cool. What's that? We could ask those, everyone that's listening, to get in touch, drop their questions mm. to you, and then we can have a, perhaps a future episode once a month, ask Chris questions and you yeah, answer yeah. their questions. It's funny you should say that, actually,
0: because there's an email, <laughs> podcast at chrismeadon.com. So already that uh, email is there to send questions, but I actually... Sorry,
1: tell me that again, I missed it.
0: Podcast at chrismeaden.com thank you however there's also other resources at chrismeadenonline.com so on chrismeadenonline.com you'll be able to access resources um, ask questions uh, uh, for the podcast as well it gives us some feedback and also I'd love to get an insight of what you'd like to know about what you'd like to to have more um, what subjects you'd like to cover, like us to cover um so the uh, Chris Mead online's just been built out at the moment it should be live by the time this goes but ultimately that's going to build and I give access to my other online courses as well
1: cool so we're also going to have some really cool guests as well in future yes we are we've yes. got some really good ones lined up where I'm really excited so yeah. am I am I allowed to sit in on those yeah, I think so. Oh, thank yeah. you. <laughs> have I been well behaved today, Chris? Yes, you have. Yeah. Have yeah. I sat back quietly and not interrupted?
0: Yeah. I, I, I'll tell you a story now. Um, oh. <laughs> so, so um, myself and Lindsay went off one of these Sky channels a few years back, and
1: oh no, uh, do we uh, really and, have to go there?
0: And uh, yeah, it was a live show as well, wasn't it? It, it was, was live. live. Yeah.
1: It is on a channel that no one's ever heard of.
0: <laughs> yeah. Shall so we tell? No. <laughs> Um, and, um, yeah, I didn't get a word in. <laughs> I didn't get a word in. Lindsay just talked and talked, and I was like, oh, okay, I just sort of but Hang on a minute. A that, can't of right. of... that can't be right.
1: That can't be right, because I've been brought up throughout my entire childhood known as Lindsay the Shy One. Yeah. I'm very shy. Yes. So that just doesn't make sense.
0: It does make sense. So, um, uh, but, yeah, I've managed to speak uh, during this podcast, so it's different. <laughs> well, so, so um, you know, I'd love for you to um, leave a review, uh, share this podcast. If you want to know if anyone might could do some help in terms of mindset, being able to improve their mental health, then... you know, Yeah, let's, let's episodes, reach out to
1: others because so many people... Uh, suffering right yeah. now or just uh, somebody will know of somebody or just reach out uh, let them know
0: yeah and the reason this podcast is really want to uh, we want to um reach a broader audience a wider audience you know so um very much my my years have been working one-to-one with clients obviously that you know i work with clients all over the world on skype and facetime um but the majority of people i see us in my clinics but What we're looking to do is broaden that reach across the globe, and you know there's more online programmes coming out, um, so that um, we can impact um, a greater number of um, uh, people on this planet to get the resources, the strategies to be able to deal with mental health issues and recover faster, quicker.
1: You're going to share a top tip with us today. You're going to leave that till the next episode. I think the next episode. Oh, you're leaving us hanging now. Thanks Chris. I right. have enjoyed that.
0: Yes, yeah, been interesting.
1: It's been nice chatting it? to you opposite uh, on a across a little table just yeah. just like 13 years ago. Yeah. Nothing's changed, just a few more wrinkles. You got the grey look hairs, there on yeah, your hair. Yeah. <laughs> going for the George so. Clooney look, but um it's been nice.
0: Okay, so see you guys next episode. Bye for now. Bye-bye.